and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is a spoiler-free podcast. So whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thank you for listening. Now, on to the episode. Hey everyone, Kara here. I had some microphone issues towards the end of our recording, so my sound quality will change noticeably for about the last 10-15 minutes of the episode. It's not you, it's me. Thanks, hope you enjoy. I'm going to go sit in a corner and think about what I've done. It's the Season 6 Wrap-Up! Welcome! To the end of Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 6, just a reminder, these wrap-up episodes are not spoiler-free, so if you have not seen Season 7 of Buffy, consider skipping this one for a little bit, because Steph and I are going to talk about stuff. But first, Steph, how do you feel about Season (laughs) 6? I think I've obviously kept my feelings on season six close to the chest as we watched the last 22 episodes. Not. Obviously, I've been very vocal about me being super low while watching this season. It's it's joyless. I mean, there are bits and pieces of joy here and there. It's definitely joyless, except <laughs> well, for one episode. Boom. And that adds to the joylessness of it. But overall, there are definitely bits and pieces of the season that I'll take with me forever, right? There are some gems some some great scenes, some good dialogue here and there, and some episodes that really stand out. I would take those, and then I would leave the rest. Yeah. That's how I feel. How about you? Yeah. So, I mean, I remember us talking in kind of previous wrap-ups, and I mean, I think at the start of the season, how my thoughts on season six have really evolved quite a bit over the many times I've rewatched the show. And I've always looked at season six rather favorably, you know, amongst the seasons, um, but every time I rewatch the show, I seem to like it a little bit less. And, you know, I like the earlier seasons more. And so season six has been undergoing a constant reevaluation uh, compared to some of the other seasons. I remember when we started recording this season that I kind of made it my mission to show you season six in a different light and be like, it's not that bad stuff. <laughs> but I feel yeah. like if anything... The opposite has happened, and you have kind of rubbed off on me as we <laughs> go through it. I'm an influencer. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I like about doing this podcast with you, right? Is yeah. So often, it's not that we have diametrically opposed perspectives on the show, but we have opinions that are different enough that I learn something from you doing this show with you, and obviously you learn something from me. Yeah, I'm glad you agreed with me there, because otherwise that would have been very embarrassing. If you're like, no. yeah, you really learned from me, Cara. I was like, I taught you a lot this season, that's for sure. <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, I, I lose a little bit more of my innocence every season that we do. I mean, if ever there was a season to lose innocence in, I guess it would be this one, right? Let's, okay, well, what we usually do with these season wrap-ups is we talk about the good stuff right and mm-hmm. we can talk about then we can talk about the stuff that's 
not so good mm-hmm. and we go through characters and such okay so let's start yeah. off with our favorite episodes obviously a standout would be once more with feeling right you and i had which a blast. one was that that was Does, one i think i think there was singing in it i think something oh. different happened yeah oh there was a musical episode cool <laughs> yeah that was this season all right well, i'm gonna have to go back and check that out um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think once more with feeling kind of like we discussed about Hush. It's it's in a different echelon. It's not even really a part of season six in that sense, right? Like, how, how can you not say it's the best episode of the season? So in that way, I feel like I have to remove it from contention almost. Mm. Disqualify it for being too good. <laughs> hey, I would say if you want to pick good episodes of the season they're all going to be in the first half of the season there's gonna there's gonna be uh honestly i didn't mind like you know like bargaining part one and two like that whole thing we had a great time talking about that i really enjoyed flooded life serial was a hoot we loved all the way because of daddy giles and dawn's uh rebelling we were like yes 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 and then of course tabula rasa right and we had a lot of guest stars on this season and Mm -hmm. when we covered uh when we covered as you were with ryan a lot of people don't like that episode but i actually really enjoyed that episode because of as, how as you it. were was a highlight of the the last half of the season partly yeah. because ryan was on our recap and and i'm having trouble divorcing how i feel about the episode from how i feel about you know how the recap went and the guests mm-hmm. we had on some of these like tabula raza obviously is a great episode but it's also a lot of fun because we had lily on to talk about things right yeah, and then Kandara lent her voice for Life Serial, and that was a lot of fun, too. So, again, yeah. lots of good things happening in the first half of the season. The real fun was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, to answer your question about favorite episodes, I think, other than Once More with Feeling, definitely Tabula Raza. Um, I would also say, I think Normal Again was, for me, kind of most improved, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. because I yeah. went into it thinking this is the worst episode of the series i hate this episode and i came out of it even before we did our recap reevaluating it being like well actually i don't mind the episode i mind the people who assume that the end of the episode is saying something that i don't think it's actually saying so so in that in that sense right there's annoyance there but it's actually a very heart-wrenching episode and as we discussed in our recap the fact that Buffy gets to say goodbye to Joyce for me is a huge thing. And I, I'm glad that we got to talk about that. And I feel like that episode, therefore, has a special place in my heart. Yeah. I, I mean, what you're saying is that Normal Again gets a participation ribbon. <laughs> yes, exactly. Honorable mention. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe instead of just episodes, were there kind of arcs or plot lines in this season that you really enjoyed? Obviously, the fact that Buffy's not dead is is a big deal. Um, a plus for that. Mm-hmm. I think our brief time with the Buffy bot was nice, right? Mm, we had yeah. that in the first mm-hmm. two episodes, and that was nice to see. Tara is a highlight in this season until it's oh. not. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I agree. I really liked the relationships, and we'll get more into this in a bit. You know, the relationships among, like, Tara and Willow and Dawn... To me, and I've never been a Dawn hater, but to me, Dawn in season six, I know they try to give her that whole klepto arc of like, oh my goodness, like she's a challenged child because of, you know, all this trauma, whatever. Um, Dawn kind of comes into her own in this season because in season five, you know, she is the key, 
and she is the the MacGuffin of that season, and therefore she has a harder time being her own character, her own person. Here in season six, Dawn gets to be Dawn. She's a teenage girl, and she's delightful. Um, and I so I, I liked pretty much all of the subplots in this season involving Dawn. Yeah, you know, Dawn won a lot of our Hero of the Episode awards uh yeah. this season because Although, of that i well i also think that maybe that was just because everybody else was being really shitty <laughs> <laughs> like, whatever works <laughs> when we get into bad things that's something i'm going to talk about a win is a win true sure one other highlight in this season uh we met clem yep we love our clem uncle clem is that he's not a daddy but is he an uncle <laughs> yeah uncle clem is really a really good way to describe him uh yeah he brought on a lot of humor or i guess he did his best he did his best to add some comic relief i wonder if him and was it sophie was it sophie the girl that came to the party Mm -hmm. older and far away yeah then they were like they're hitting it off (laughs) i don't i i think i don't think sophie's clem's speed you know Mm. i i think clem is far more adventurous than sophie love that i think he dumped her he left her in the dust (laughs) I hope we get He's more of them in the next season. Another positive, I think when we had him, Giles was a standout in this season. I was going to say, is this the most dad that Daddy Giles is? I think so. I think so. I mean, we were cheering him on in the first couple so of I think, episodes. I think he's less dad in season seven because he goes kind of back to being Watcher Giles at that point. Okay, fair enough. So he, he backtracks. But at least in the episodes that we got him in, in this season, he was great. And we really liked when he showed up, what he had to say when he did show up. Uh, and and they, I think they utilized his character the best they could for somebody who didn't want to be on the show anymore. And I, I'm, of course, talking about Anthony Stewart Head, who just wanted to go back to England. And who could blame him? So I think they made the best of that as they could. But we can also talk about, you know, how upset we were with Giles <laughs> in the negative part of this episode. But any other positive things that you can take away from the season? I think part of the reason why this season is so hard is because clearly the writers were trying to comment on how challenging adult life can be when you've moved on from school, although obviously Willow and Tara haven't. You're trying to figure out how to deal with you know, the difficulties of adulting, even though that wasn't quite a a word at that point. So much like we had the high school as hell metaphor in the first three seasons of the show, and then we had Buffy goes to college. Um, Now we have Buffy has to deal with, you know, losing a parent and being a parent to Dawn and all those sorts of things. So, So the season, it's not a surprise to me that the season feels like a downer season. So, so I want to acknowledge right what the writers were trying to do even if ultimately that means the season was less enjoyable for us you know as far as a drama show goes right as far as this is a drama uh, a dramatic show as much as it is also fantasy and comedy they tried and, and they went places and they took risks and that's something that you don't see as much in a lot of television these days because of the the way that the television industry has become a lot more conservative and and they tend to kind of chase the more reliable kind of streaming viewership dollars um buffy season six takes risks uh i mean look at the musical episode right nowadays series will do a musical episode because it is because buffy made musical episodes the thing to do but back when buffy did a musical episode the network was just like really (laughs) 
are you sure? Because as we discussed in our behind the scenes episode with uh, Breaking the Curtain, you know, it was uh, it was a gamble. Only a few other series at that time had tried to do musicals and none of them at the scale that Buffy did. So for me, as much as I have criticisms of season six, I want to acknowledge that as far as a, a produced season of television in the 2000, 2000s goes, it, it may be uneven, but it takes risks and the highs, like Once More with Feeling, are highs, right? Like Once More with Feeling is one of the best episodes of the series. It might not be everybody's personal favorite, but you, you have to acknowledge it's a very compelling hour of tv so my hat's off to season six it's a less enjoyable season but as a, a television series the quality of the production is still there yeah no i totally agree season six does take risks it's a bold season because of that right like it stands out in a lot of people's minds whether you love it or you hate it and i very rarely find people who are just like meh about it i find people more more just like nope that wasn't for me or yes that was very much for me so i feel like this is the season above any other seasons in buffy that divides the fandom into whether or not you related to what buffy's going through or you saw willow's story and you saw yourself in that or on the other hand you're more like you know what this isn't the Buffy that I wanted to come back, right? Like we thought Buffy was going to end in season five. It came back to UPN and it kind of came back as a different show because they took so many risks because they did things with yeah. the characters that they've never done before. And now I think we should talk a little bit about whether that was actually a good thing or a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. I, I guess we'll have to talk about Buffy, right? Buffy's depression, Buffy's trauma coming back from heaven, then having to live her adult life back in Sunnydale against her will. So that was her entire arc that carried her from bargaining part one all the way to grave. And it was a lot. It was a lot to watch her struggle. It was a lot to watch her be so down, to hate herself, to hate her life, and then ultimately to fall into an abusive relationship with a guy that she definitely should not have let in, right? But she did. And again, what a bold choice. And I want to say off the bat, Sarah Michelle Gellar rocked this season. Agreed. She rocks every season. It's like obviously perfectly cast for Buffy Summers. But what she did in this season and how she was able to show that depression, how she was able to show what Buffy was going through realistically, hats off to you. Yeah. Let's talk about maybe some of the real stinkers in this season and then just get into kind of more of analysis of the characters and, and their arcs and stuff. And I think, Steph, we have to start with Double Me Palace. <laughs> we have no choice. We have to start there. <laughs> um, so we have a hot stake here from Wes, who wanted to talk about the Double Me Palace episode. And, and we had talked kind of about how it was based on, you know, real fast food and there were some issues with fast food restaurants pulling their commercials so Wes corroborates this intel and says, the Double Me Palace is supposed to be Whataburger. Uh, the colors of the uniforms in the restaurants match this chain. Uh, it was a popular chain in the Southwest at the time and has grown since then. Uh, also, according to Wes, Joss Whedon said in one of the DVD commentaries that Buffy working fast food and the way it was portrayed was the only thing that actually cost the show because, as we've said, some fast food places have were threatening to pull their advertising from the network. 
And then uh, Wes says, so to be clear, being critical about fast food was apparently more controversial than being gay in 2001, <laughs> 2002. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Very interesting. We were very critical of Double Bean Palace when we talked about it and just how I, I remember we we felt like our recap of the show was us reliving Buffy's timeless experience at Double Meat Palace. I think for me, what made Double Meat Palace and that whole kind of subplot so excruciating was the fact that the show did that episode to talk about kind of the torturous aspect of capitalism. And then obviously we have references to Double Meat Palace here and there again, but it never really comes up in terms of like the conflict between being the Slayer and having a job, right? Like now Buffy just works at Double Meat Palace and it's it seems to be a settled thing. And I, I think that the season could have done a better job of actually kind of fleshing out like, well, where is Buffy going from here? Is she just going to work at Double Meat Palace for the foreseeable future? Is she, as she climbs out of this depression, is she developing goals and stuff? My my biggest complaint, Steph, about this season is the fact, and we talked about this, especially in Seeing Red, this season prioritizes every other character's feelings over Buffy's. And we actually get so little of Buffy's own kind of internal monologue and her own emotions. We get it once in a while. But for the most part, this season really seems like it cares to follow other characters a lot more than it cares about Buffy. Yeah, I agree with you. That's one of the reasons why I don't like this season. It's just, I mean, it's not just that Buffy is getting kicked while she's down, but it's like, where is Buffy's voice? And I feel like it got lost in the muddle there. Maybe that was the point again, right? Like taking this risk of putting the main character through depression, giving her jobs that she doesn't want, giving her all these responsibilities that come with being an adult that she's not ready for, still missing her mom. Like that was my favorite conversation was ours, our conversation in Normal Again, where we talked about Joyce and her saying goodbye to Joyce. Because it all yeah. really does come back to the body in season five. Buffy is still grieving her mother. And that is the that is behind the scenes of everything else that's going on with her. So I find that the this season really dumped on Buffy. And there were times where I was like, why, though? You know, like, I get the point that they're trying to make here, right? But it's just a lot to watch when um, the last five seasons have really, done, in their own way, done their best to uplift Buffy or find a hero in Buffy. Mm-hmm. By grave, right? Did Buffy find her heroness again? She found a new purpose in life, that's for sure. But they also shunted her to the side. <laughs> it's, it's so unfulfilling. So, yeah. And I agree with you. And I think that's a really good point. And, and even to kind of extend that, the writers seem really obsessed with bringing all of our characters low in this season and, and making them into worse versions of themselves, right? So Anya obviously becomes a vengeance demon again. Spike fully reveals his true colors when it comes to his misogyny and abusive patterns xander leaves anya at the altar goes like full dirtbag dawn is a klepto i mean tara is kind of exempt from this r.i.p tara willow abuses magic uh wipes people's memories and then of course has her whole dark willow arc in previous seasons there was always friction between the characters there was conflict and that was normal and healthy and that was interesting in and of itself in this season, it's almost as if it was a reality show and the writers were like the producers being like, 
like like scripting and then kind of like setting up like more conflict than we needed and it's like okay but but what if you left her at the altar right like <laughs> it, it's larger than life and and suddenly instead of just like disagreeing like we saw you know in season three with the affair um <laughs> you know like instead of just having like these disagreements and these like rough patches it it has full-on gone into like yeah i messed with your mind and now i've left you at the altar and now i'm a vengeance demon again and it's like everybody in this season their, their behavior their bad behavior has been cranked up to 11 the only way that i could ever really find the moments in the season that i really appreciate is if you watch the season in its entirety because you're right if you watch every episode individually you're like this person sucks this person sucks I feel shitty. Like, you know, you know, but when you can watch it over a 22 episode arc, you're like, okay, so they're trying to say this about this. But yeah. mm -hmm. at the same time, it feels like every episode is trying to one up the next one as to how dark and edgy and gritty and more painful it can get. Right. It's like, oh, you didn't like dead things. Well, here's seeing red, <laughs> you know, like it just, it never lets up. And at one point I was wondering to myself while watching this, particularly after seeing red, I was like, are you just trying to shock us? Like, are, I, I get that you're like characters go through ups and downs. Oh no. But at that point, it's just like, you're just being sensational. You're just, you're just oh, doing seeing things red is to hurt complete us. Sensationalism. It is IMO. Did I just say that out loud? You did. <laughs> <laughs> it is, in my opinion, the antithesis of fan service, right? So fan service is, mm, yeah, let's give the fans what we want, right? It's like when well, they give... Well, that's Spuffy this season, right? <laughs> well, yeah, when they give Spuffy's, you know, topless Spike, when they give Bangel's topless Angel, right? Like, that's fan service. But seeing Red is the antithesis of that because nobody wanted Spike to do what he did to Buffy, right? Like, and, and the crux of people who endorse the Spuffy ship is... Well, he didn't do that. That's not canon. Or or else they say, well, that's out of character for him, even if it is canon. Um, and you and I, you know, we talked a lot about that in Seeing Red. We don't have to rehash it. But my point, right, is the writers went out of their way to make Seeing Red a horrible, horrible experience for the viewers. Uh, and we talked about how that felt abusive and toxic towards us, <laughs> the viewers, in that we episode. Felt but yeah. We did feel attacked. <laughs> Yeah. It, it is the is anti fan service, and it's so fascinating to me. Yeah, this season is such a product of its time. Like you couldn't get away with some of the things the season does in television these days, just because you know the the season orders are, are of course shorter, and and as much as you can get away with showing more on TV these days in terms of violence and grittiness and stuff, I don't know if somebody would have greenlit seeing red the way it was filmed today. Yeah. And I, I want to add that we did get a couple of hot stakes or messages from people that wanted to add to our conversation about the bathroom scene in Seeing Red. And, uh, you know, out of respect to people who wanted to skip that episode as well as that scene when we recorded it, we are not going to include it. Um, we're not going to include those hot stakes in this particular yeah. wrap up, but we did reply to you through DM or through email or however you reached out to yeah. us. Yeah. Like we said in that episode, um, you know, generally speaking, we love everybody's hot stakes. We love talking about Buffy with all of you, but there's lots of other places to have that conversation, right? You can talk to us. Uh, we have our discord, happy to talk about that stuff there. There's, you know, there's Buffy forums all over the internet. Uh, seeing red has been discussed ad nauseum. 
Um, I'm not saying I'm never going to talk about it again, but there's so much other Buffy stuff I'd like to talk about. Uh, for example, Steph, we have a hot stake here from Allison, who wants to talk way back to Bargaining Part 2, if you remember that. I do. <laughs> um, Allison says, Xander says, yeah, we got trouble right here in Hellmouth City. This is a quote from the song, You Got Trouble, from the Broadway show, The Music Man. Were you familiar with this, Steph? Uh, no, I haven't seen that Broadway show. A show where a con man comes into a quaint American town, and in this song, riles up discontent, convincing everyone that white boy gangs are hanging around the pool halls and will teach your children how to drink and smoke and gamble. And the only way to protect your children from these white boy gangs is to enroll them in the big bra brass band this con man is putting together. Just buy the instrument from me! Um, Allison says, I thought this quote was well-placed in the episode because the play is very much about white panic, the same sort of panic that happened around biker gangs in the 90s <laughs> and early aughts. Um, which, you know, to be fair, Allison, I feel like the demon biker gang in Bargaining was a legitimate threat, unlike a lot of the other biker gangs in the real world. <laughs> That we saw in that we see in real life, and remember, I compared that biker gang to the penguins of Madagascar. <laughs> yeah. So, um, also, could it be that they put in that little quote from Xander to foreshadow the musical episode coming up five Maybe. episodes after that, or four episodes after that? Speaking of foreshadowing, let's get to Betsy's hot steak that is about normal again. Betsy says. Is the first lurking around and using its influence to do weird stuff in Sunnydale in season six? Ooh, I know it'll be a while before you guys can really discuss it, but I just wanted to plant the idea. Suppose the first sees this demon poke Buffy and influences her hallucinations in an attempt to take a bunch of major players out of the game before things start to escalate. It's been a few months since the resurrection and is and it getting a power boost. If that's a possibility, do we see other examples where the first could have been working behind the scenes, perhaps to nudge Warren toward murder or Willow towards world destruction. None of them are aware of its activities until season seven, but maybe if it hadn't been in, in town during season six, things wouldn't have gone so sideways. Ooh, so that's our first reference, or I guess second reference to the first, because we did meet the first in season three. Yes, we did. Um, that is an interesting, interesting thought, Betsy. I think I agree with you in the general, but not the specific. I don't think the first affected um, Buffy's hallucinations because to me, I don't, it doesn't seem necessary, right? It's like Occam's razor, you know, I, I think the, the demon's venom was probably strong enough. I mean, that was a pretty big arm needle, right? So one of the biggest arm needles that we've ever seen. Yeah. Uh. So, so I see where you're coming from, Betsy. I don't necessarily agree that that's an example. But I like your idea that the first is awakening um, and gaining power right now. And yeah, we'll talk more about this as we learn about the first through season seven's arc. But that is a good example of how once we watch season seven, we can maybe go back and reevaluate some of what we saw in season six. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like the connections that you're making. So thanks for that hot steak. Yeah, and I'm starting to get like, ooh, a little bit intrigued about season seven, right? I'm gonna we're gonna have a long, nice Christmas break after season six, but like you've gotten my brain jogging a little bit here, Betsy. <laughs> it's nice. All right. Um let's talk about some of the characters here in the season. And I think a good place to start. We already talked about Buffy a little bit and we'll we'll come back to Buffy and her relationships. Um, but we just came off of Grave and the Dark Willow arc. So let's talk about Willow. 
<laughs> Let's talk about Willow. We also have a whole Willow on trial episode coming up where we can really deep dive into her. But would you say this was her season? This was like her season to oh, have I hope her <laughs> big well, as in like her like starring like it's all about Willow in this they, season, you know? I mean, yeah, they clearly gave Allison Hannigan more to do in this season. My feelings about Willow in this season is I wanted Willow and Tara to be happy. And I understand that that's hard to do on, on the, the show. I didn't want what happened to Tara to happen. Even I could deal with them breaking up. That's fine. Um, but the fridging of Tara, obviously, is less forgivable. I think Willow, the signs were always there, right? You and I have talked about this since Willow started doing magics. Uh, the parallels with drug use have always been there. So I do like how clearly the writers were laying the groundwork for this for several seasons now. And this is our payoff. And I like that they explored, you know, the idea of Dark Willow and stuff. Like, I, I think all of that makes a lot of sense. And parts of it are quite well done and enjoyable from a, an entertainment point of view. I was sad with what happened with Tara. You know, I think it's interesting if we compare Willow and Oz's breakup to Tara and Willow's breakup, how in both cases, Willow's partner left her. But in Oz's case, the second time at least, it was because he felt he had to work on himself, whereas Tara obviously has been aggrieved. So yeah, I just, I don't know. My feelings about Willow are complicated this season because she she does not come off very well as a character Yeah. on purpose. We're not supposed to like what she's doing. I always like Willow a little bit less. Similar with Spike, right? It's like, I like Willow a little bit less every time I watch the show and I like Tara a lot more. Yeah, um, I didn't like her for like 90% of the season, and I was pretty vocal about it. I think a lot of people actually came in to talk to us about something we said, I believe in bargaining, where it was ba- it was Willow's baby voice that she kept using that was like irking me. And I think people came in and explained my own feelings to me because they were like, um, as they should, because they were like, um, it's that duality, right? It's the fact that she's like, oh, hell. My, my little tummies and stuff and talking like that then she's murdering deer in the next scene so uh, yeah the fact that she killed she straight up killed a deer in the first episode <laughs> of the season deer. a fawn yeah that was it's, probably a side it that we should have known what was coming for sure but i think i think for me it's it's that the Willow we know from the first three seasons is long gone because we were Willow's champion for the most part until the affair <laughs> season three. Um, but, but the season one and two, we were like, this is great. Willow's the best. But remember, she got dumped on a lot in those seasons. She didn't get any storyline, like barely any storyline besides falling in love with Lord Moloch in season one. Praise Moloch. Uh, season two, right? She got a boyfriend. Great. Season three, not much. And then remember, like season four, lots of good development for Willow in that one. And then in season five, you and I were like, where was she this season? Right? Yeah, you're right. What is she doing? So all of a sudden we get so much more Willow this season. We should have been rejoicing, but it's not nice, happy, fun Willow. It's self-obsessive, power-hungry, downward progression willow and again hey that's what character arcs are all about people rise and fall but i I can't say that it did her character any favors in terms of us rooting for her by the time we get to grave i was rooting for her when she murdered warren for a little bit there because i was just like you know by warren but also oh willow no but then by the end by (laughs) by the dark willow oh willow no no (laughs) stop willow don't do that better stop that (laughs) 
<laughs> no. Bad will no. Right? I'm just going to turn around and trust that you did the right thing. Um, but, yeah, but by the end of the season, remember, just, just with the whole writing and how you and I were so upset with the season finale... In the end, I just don't think the the Willow arc paid off as much as I would have liked it to. And I think that in season seven, I'll be very interested to see how Willow comes back from this, if she's allowed right. to come back. Mind you, this is spoil- this is not spoiler-free, yeah, so t- yeah. we can say. I don't um, think season seven handles it very well at all. <laughs> I don't remember, uh, but my hopes are very low. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just don't expect it to I, get I any better. I am very curious... And listeners, you know, we haven't recorded Willow on trial yet. It'll be too late to send in hot stakes by the time that you are listening to this. We will have recorded it by the time you listen. But at the moment, Steph and I have yet to record Willow on trial. We're going to do that next week. And I'm so curious to see how how that episode goes. Because I I don't really have a lot of preconceived ideas of where we're going to land there. So no, we're just going to we're going to talk it out. We're going to talk it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in in we again. So yeah, we'll get we'll talk more about Willow next week. But Overall, for season six, Willow, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm just not a fan. She did a lot of, she did a lot of things that just I just I can't with her, you know. So we do have one hot stake about Willow here from Yana Daff, who wants to talk about Willow's portrayal as uh, a Jewish character on the show. The only Jewish character, the only openly Jewish character. I guess, I guess Jonathan was also technically Jewish, right? Right, and her parents, Ira and Sheila. <laughs> well, we didn't meet Ira, just Sheila. Mm. Who, whom, you, you know, we did theorize might have been the big bad of the whole show because of how she's manipulated Sheila Willow. is the first. Have we ever seen anyone touch Sheila? Mm, <laughs> Sheila could very well be dead already. <laughs> but yes, but yes. So Yonadab wants to say, you have one Jewish character and you make her the witch of the show. That's already a bit problematic, seeing as how most stereotypes surrounding witches are actually stereotypes of Jewish women. The nose... The hat, which used to be known as a Jew hat, since Jews were forced to wear it. Uh, But Willow's an active magic user for six seasons. And not once does she use non-Christian or non-Western magic. Spells in Latin, uh, while she probably has family members who speak two more ancient languages. Also, ancient Jewish mysticism involves pottery uh, by making hashbabab Hashba, I'm I'm not going to pronounce that correctly. Uh, Hashba bulls as protection, uh, which has nothing to do with the show, but it's cool and could be a part of the show. So thank you for writing in about that because you know, obviously neither Steph nor I are Jewish, so that's not a perspective that we're able to bring in our critique of this show. And I think the neglect of Willow's Jewishness is just another example of the erasure of diversity in this show and the way that this show is largely a product of whiteness. And, you know, it's a product of a very particular, very like Christian but secular kind of perspective, um, whereas they they pay lip service to Willow being Jewish. They mention it whenever it's convenient to remind us that, hey, she doesn't celebrate Christmas. Great. Which is like... Not the defining feature of being Jewish, as far as I'm aware, but for Willow it is. Like, she never once mentions anything about being Jewish other than, you know, I think she mentions having a bat mitzvah, right? Like, Mm -hmm. but like, she never ever talks about either the religious or the cultural aspects of Jewishness, right? 
um, which is not something we'd see on TV these days. I, I would think TV these days would be a little bit more aware. Buffy has a very poor track, track record when it comes to diversity, as you and I discussed in that wonderful episode of season five with the uh, the multicultural fair. <laughs> yeah, tough love. <laughs> Loved that fair because it showcased my culture. <laughs> And only my 100% culture. accurately, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah, again, thanks for writing in about Willow, but we will be talking so much about Willow next week. Uh, let's talk about Anya. All right. Let's talk about Anya. She did have quite the journey this season. Or did she? Right? Because she became the owner of the store rightfully but she bitched about that first because giles wasn't leaving um she had to keep her exciting wedding news secret until xander said so uh which obviously did not go over well for the first couple episodes and then she just wedding planned for a really long time then she was left at the altar and now she's a vengeance demon again and her personality was all over the place <laughs> so i'm so disappointed with how the writers handled anya in this season and xander for that matter which we can get to I, I said it so many times. I'll say it one more time for the sake of completeness. For almost all of this season, the only thing Anya does is talk about her wedding. And it's so reductive. It's not feminist. I'm not saying it's it's that you can't talk about your wedding to be feminist. But like that's all she does. She has no other purpose for the majority of the season. And then once she's jilted by Xander, she immediately becomes the stereotype of the scorned woman. And it's just boring. And and it's like like any uh, pathos that we might have for Anya is rather sidelined by the fact that she is this caricature and she doesn't get any other character development. And it makes me mad because I love Anya as a character. And in previous seasons, like season four was all about Anya figuring out how to be human again and falling for Xander. And as much as Xander doesn't deserve her, you know, it it was good. It was fun. It was funny. She was afraid of bunnies. She dressed up as a bunny for Halloween. Like, that was a good time. And in season six, it just feels like Anya is like a side character. She's in the main cast, for goodness sakes. Yeah, I feel like with Anya... Also, quick shout out to Halfrek, another introduction to a great character this season. My thing with Anya is that I expected to go into the season... 100% on Anya's side for everything because I have in the past. But you and I pointed out a number of times, particularly in Once More With Feeling, where I was like, Anya, you are not listening to Xander, right? You're not hearing what he's saying and you're not really thinking about his actions when it comes to keeping your whole wedding, your engagement a secret. He's clearly not ready to get married and she ignored all those signs because she was so obsessed with the wedding because she wanted to have this experience for herself. So I came out of this season really rethinking Anya's character where I, before I she had nothing but my sympathy where now it's more she, she's more well-rounded to me and I think that's a good thing, right? Like I, I feel like I gave her more agency in her own choices and in the way that her life unrolled this season and that's all I can really say about it. I agree with you. I think she was sidelined. I have a whole list here of ways that I would fix this season that I figured I'd just read out at the end. But like one <laughs> one way that I would fix this season is I would have had Anya and Xander go through with the wedding, 
right? Like I would have had them get married and have one joyous episode in the last half of the season and then let them deal with actually being married and the issues that come with season seven the divorce i love it right that would have been more interesting you're so right about that i disagree with you on the other stuff you said but you're so right yeah so that that is one thing that i would change however if it still played out the way it played out i would have had her refuse to become a vengeance demon again because of all the things she learned about being a human oh, that's a really good idea and how she doesn't make the same mistake twice 1000 yes. years later right this time around she's like you know what i'm gonna live in it and be better for it and i think that would have been better for her fuck yes steph Please write that back. <laughs> Please write this show, Steph. That's such a good idea. I'm totally on board. Right? So you, both those, both of those things, I think, give more development to Anya. They make her more well-rounded to me with these kind of things. So Here I am just complaining, 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 and you're actually coming here with some solutions. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm so, here for. So a couple hot stakes. Um, do you want to do the, the first one here? Yeah, the first one is about from Sarah about Anya's soul. Uh, Sarah says, in terms of vengeance demons, it could be a soul-selling deal, but demons are also well-known for causing chaos and mayhem, and the reward of doing that with their vengeance demons might be enough without having to make that particular type of deal. However, if Anya did sell her soul, she wouldn't have got it back. It is always a no-return policy, so it means that she would have she would have had been without a soul during those three years. Dehoffren also isn't particularly charitable, even though he has a soft spot for Anya. Or he would have given her the powers back in season three, so he definitely wouldn't have given her soul back. So of course, Sarah is referring to when you and I discussed whether or not Anya kept her soul when she became a demon again? Or did she ever have her soul to begin with, right? There was a lot of questions around that. So I like what Sarah's saying here, where, you know, she probably never got it back. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, this is the problem with the Buffyverse, is they make souls out to be such a big deal in season two because of Angel. And then they just really fail at well-defining souls very well and who has them and how you can lose them or get them back. And so there's a lot of room for disagreement here, right? Like we can have a healthy discussion about what we think the interpretation is here because the text is so vague. Um, So I think I came down during our recaps on the side of, well, Anya, no soul is a demon, obviously soul is a human. And maybe that was too simplistic of me and too binary in my thinking. And so I I do appreciate um, those of our listeners like Sarah who kind of wrote in and gave us different points of view, because I totally agree. There's a lot of room for different interpretation here. Another thing we mentioned when it comes to Anya, in the final three episodes of the season, when Willow is on her rampage, and Anya has, once again, different hair, (laughs) um, and she's in the magic box, and she eventually, begrudgingly, helps uh, Buffy and Xander. Um, We commented on the fact that she seems like a very different person now. And we had Martin write in to talk about how This could be seen as being connected to Anya as an autistic code character. And we've discussed that reading of Anya in the past because, you know, it comes up a lot. A lot of people have talked about possible neurodivergence among many of the characters of this show. What I really enjoyed about this hot stake is the specificity of it. So Martin says, I think her personality shift is caused by masking, which is a term used to describe an autistic person behaving in an holistic, that means non-autistic, way, by masking their autistic traits. Masking can be very difficult, and 
both mentally and physically draining, which is why autistic people have such high levels of burnout and unemployment. Uh, Masking for too long can be untenable. To me, this explains perfectly why Anya behaves so differently as a human than she does as a demon. When she is a demon, she has power and energy beyond normal human comprehension and it makes masking very easy for her. She tends to act far more socially aware and what society would call normal despite being a demon. When she's human, however, it is much harder for her to mask and her autistic traits are more obvious. Um, And Martin also mentions we are going to see some more flashbacks of Anya back when she was odd before she was a demon the first time uh, in season seven. So we can look forward to kind of seeing what that tells us about her character. Uh, So thank you, Martin, for for sharing that perspective. Yes, thank you. So we've talked a lot about Anya. We talked about her choices, whether we agree with some of them or not. But now we need to talk about Xander. All right, because Xander is the hero of the season. Did you know that? Did you did you see that? Kara, Xander wins. At so the end. I've been told. <laughs> so, <ugh. laughs> um, okay. I recall season four and season five. Xander, you know, he had his horrible, terrible moments of, as he always does. But there were times where we, were, you and I, were like, he's growing. He's, you know, he's maturing in some ways. Okay, we didn't mind that so he's much. He's mastered carpentry <laughs> in less than a year. Right there, there were times where we were like, all right, well, um. Natalie on TikTok has asked us, she says, if I can make a challenging request, please, just for fun, can it be discussed as to why Buffy loves Xander as family? There are reasons and they should be examined. So, all right, Natalie, this one's for you. We can, we can talk about some of the good aspects of Xander. I bring up the last two seasons because I was like, you know, there were some there. Season six, mm, (laughs) like a lot of his bad, worst qualities came out again. I think maybe we should go back to season one. Let's go all the way back. You know, the very first episode has Xander following Buffy into the sewers to help her out. And that is brave. Um, He clearly, I mean, maybe he was motivated by something other than bravery. But, you know, (laughs) maybe he he helps Buffy out from the very beginning. Uh, And don't forget, he was the hero in Prophecy Girl. Because Angel had no breath. <laughs> this is Xander the Vampire Slayer. We all <laughs> Xander, know secretly the hero of this series. <laughs> nice, nice things, nice things. Why is he family? Yes. Right. Sorry. Yes, we're not bashing Xander. This is our non-Xander slander episode or part of this episode. <laughs> no, but seriously, and, and I agree with that reading because we did talk about this, I think, in, in Seeing Red. I wanted to mention, right, how I did like that Buffy and Xander can fight. They can disagree But Xander knows he can still come back and Buffy's going to forgive him and they're going to work through it. And that's a very mature and actually very healthy adult relationship to have. Mm -hmm. They're family because Xander has always been there Um, since Buffy moved to Sunnydale. Like I was just saying, from season one onwards, you know, has he always done stuff that we agree with or that has pleased Buffy? No, but that's what family is, right? Is Mm -hmm. family are the people who can piss you off the most and they're still in your life. Yes. And so if anything, Natalie, Xander is family because (laughs) we slander him so much. Does that make him (laughs) our family? (laughs) I think Xander's an honorary member of both the Babcock and Chow households. Yes. God, God. can't get rid of him. Yeah, that's, 
That's exactly right. I I also think that in a lot of ways Buffy needs him. He needs she she, he, she needs him the way she needs Giles, the way she needs Willow. Right? She has a very small amount of people in her life that she can rely on, that she can trust, and that she knows has her back. <laughs> not always, you know, not always, but for the most part, these people are always there for her, and um, Xander is part of that. So that that's what makes him family. Absolutely. On that note, <laughs> on a Xander slander note, uh, Mike wants us to know, I think you gave Xander too much credit. You commented that his being <laughs> shitty to Buffy about her being with Spike was because he was feeling guilty over what he did to Anya. But I always thought it was even dumber than that. I think he's upset because he's still not over Buffy. Mm. So he can't believe she'd be with Spike when she won't be with him. Yeah. Can I do that snapping <laughs> thing, Mike? Like, I can't snap. I wish I could. But I'm with, I'm with you on this, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. This has always been one of our biggest problems with Xander is that he just, he projects all of his feelings and unrequited feelings over Buffy onto the people that Buffy is sleeping with. He did that with Angel. He did that with Riley. And he's doing that with Spike. So fair enough. <laughs> Um, our other hot stake is from Wendy about Xander and Wendy says it made me wonder what Willow would have done if Xander had been the one that Warren killed instead of Tara Buffy could have been wounded and or Tara could have been wounded but if Xander was the one who was actually killed would Willow have gone off the deep end interesting um I don't think so not for this season <laughs> because as much as they tried to convince us that they're best buddies oh, oh no Xander is dead that's that's sad oh dear let's just <laughs> burn him up like we did with warren's body um no 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 at the end of this season they wanted us they wanted to convince us that they were the bestest of buds but like remember that we got so little willow and xander time i know in this i season. think that's another problem with this so, season yeah yeah <laughs> again she wasn't even a great best man at the wedding like i'm sorry that's um, well that'll be willow on trial it's one of the things we're trialing her on is her failure oh. at being the best man <laughs> oh okay i love it no i agree with your reading of that steph um we, we discussed a lot about, like, you know, what could have motivated Willow to become Dark Willow. And I agree, Xander, even if Xander were killed, I don't think that would be sufficient for all the reasons you stated. I think the other thing we have to keep in mind about Xander this season is, yes, he's family. You know, yes, he's an integral part of Buffy's household as much as it seems like he doesn't ever watch Dawn properly. <laughs> but also, like Anya, his only real arc this season is, I'm getting married, and then not getting married. So we we miss out on any more growth from him. Like we saw a lot more growth, like you said, in seasons four and five from him. And and because of Buffy's distance from all the characters, Xander gets really cut off from interacting with the rest of the Scoobies, right? So much of Xander in these episodes is Xander and Anya, and they're often really sidelined. Um, and, and some of the other most memorable Xander moments in my mind are ones either when it's just, you know, the whole ensemble, they have a group scene, uh, or it's like Xander and Spike, you know, like fighting or something. Um, yeah. And that's really, that's really weird to me. We didn't really get, other than Hell's Bells, did we get like a Xander-centric episode like we've had with like the Zeppo and the replacement and stuff? No, no. Not this yeah. season. You, you know what's actually something that we never talked about? <laughs> you notice how Xander got so upset with Buffy for sleeping with Spike this season. But in season five, when he thought that, when he literally saw Buffy sleeping with Spike, but it was the Buffy bot, 
he handled that a lot better. Do you notice? But mind you, he wasn't heartbroken. He wasn't, you know, he, mm-hmm. his ex fiance hadn't already slept with him too. But like, I'm just saying, I mean, that just occurred to me now. All I got to say about Xander is that he, he was consistent this season. I think he, he had a couple of moments where we were like, that's brave, I suppose. Um, but for the most part, he was immature in that he just couldn't speak his emotions to Anya, right? He couldn't tell her the reasons yeah. for whatever reason. And that was really a shame and was extra hurtful near the end. So, All right. Let's finish off our discussion of season six by talking about perhaps the most polarizing aspect of the season, which is relationships, romantic sexual relationships, mm. and specifically the spuffy ship. Um, right. And, and we've, we, you will hear us comment on Spuffy ships and other ships from a fandom point of view when you hear our fandom on trial episode coming soon. However, for now, let's just look at the text, right? Let's look at what's going on in this season with Buffy and Spike as like a culmination ever since Spike showed up in season two. You know, it's not that we were hurtling exactly towards this right because it seemed like this was more of an evolution in the writer's approach to spike's character but oh we unpacked so much about buffy and spike in this season yeah of all the storylines in season six this one has is my least favorite (laughs) and it's also just because of the discourse that went around our conversations around spike this season you and i always knew going into season six that we were going to cause controversy just by having opinions about it. Um, And again, we'll talk about this in fandom on trial, but we recorded that long before we did seeing red and we, till we got to the end of the season and I've never like the juxtaposition between people that were so happy with how we covered Spike's actions this season and the people that are deeply upset with us. (laughs) Um, it's, it's wild. And I think that's how most of the fandom would approach Spike's character this season anyway, because, ugh, like, I don't even know where to begin. So, so Spike in this season, I think was just an extension of who he was in season five. You and I talked mm-hmm. about that. We're like, you know what? There's no surprises here. Yeah. That's exactly who he's been. He's a, a stalker. He's a kidnapper. <laughs> He sniffs her panties like he's been doing this for a long time. Um, I'm not surprised that he was abusive toward her once she started letting him in. I think it just got confusing near the beginning because he was a very good listener for her the first couple of episodes. And you and I acknowledge that. We're like, he's providing space for her to come and talk to him where the other Scoobies are not. And that's what's opening the door to all of this. So... I think that got really confusing and muddled in terms of like how you're supposed to view Spike. It's like whiplash, right? But then at the end of the day, because we watched season four and five, I was like, no, this is who his character is. So now that he's waltzed off and apparently gone to go get his soul, I'm I'm just, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I'm really unsure as to how I'm supposed to feel about Spike now. Well, something I think this season does well uh, in how it depicts Spike as an abuser is he's a charming abuser. Right. Like so often we are told through media to expect abusers to be these awful, terrible, villainous people who are just so obviously evil to everybody around them. And they're just so horrible. But the whole thing about being an abuser is a most people who are abusive in especially their romantic partnerships are not that way to other people. Right. They come across as these lovely, you know, family people and great at work and 
everybody's always like, oh, like I'm surprised. I mean, if you look close enough, there's probably some hints. But, you know, in the real world, abusers are usually very charming because a lot of abusers are equipped. They've learned how to manipulate people just like they manipulate their partners. So Spike encapsulates that. He embodies the charming abuser. And it's not so much that he fools the other, the other Scoobies, um, but he he fools us, right? He fools the, the viewers of the show. Like you said, it, it's hard to know what to make of him. And although I personally don't see the attraction of Spike for many reasons, I understand how the show maneuvers Spike and positions him as being a palatable sexual interest for Buffy. And I think that was a mistake, though, honestly. Like, I, I, I do... I do see what they were doing with that, right? And But I think they meant it to be coming from Buffy's character, at least at the beginning, right? When somebody goes through what Buffy's going through in terms of her depression, in terms of where her headspace is, they might fall into a sexual relationship that they shouldn't, that doesn't benefit them in the end. And then having Buffy break up with him and as you were, and then coming out of it, like remember she walked into the light with her beautiful little purple outfit and smiled a bit or looked relieved because she was stepping away from the toxicity in her life. I think they started off like hoping that that moment would come for Buffy, that she would find empowerment in leaving this like awful relationship. But then in the end, they turned that empowerment around and gave it all to Spike. Spike is the hero of the show. <laughs> Spike and Xander, the, the vampire Is that slayers. what we're learning in season six is everybody's the hero of this show other than Buffy? Well, I think that's why, that's why this Buffy arc of this season was my least favorite and why this season overall is my least favorite out of all the seasons we watched because at the end that's kind of what it seems like it seems like xander and spike come out with a lot more than buffy does after buffy suffered for so long you know and i I don't like that so Again, going into the season, I wasn't expecting to like the scenes with Spike and Buffy. I always like kept an open mind. I was like, maybe I'll see something I never saw before. But it's the same to me. It's, it's as you said, it's it's abuse, and it's charismatic abuse, which I think is very dangerous, and I think it's um, a very irresponsible thing to show to an audience that is mostly young people. But now that we're on the other side of it, I'm very curious to see how I'm going to feel when we see Spike return to Sunnydale in season seven with his soul. I also think they kind of, they should have, they should have maybe left that surprise about the soul until next season, you know, like when he does show up, I think it would have been a big bomb drop to like, he's back now he has a soul, you know, I think that would have been cool. Right. But that is, that's the cliffhanger, right? Like then they're like, boom, end title. (laughs) And I was like, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, we've seen it before. Yeah. Well, so here's a hot stake from Kat. And she says, I've been rewatching season one whilst season six is being covered on the podcast. It's made me notice how Spike's isolation of Buffy in season six mirrors a behavior of Darla's in season one, specifically episode seven, Angel. During Darla's interactions with Angel in that episode, she reminds him frequently that he's not one of them, referring to human beings. She reminds him that he belongs in the supernatural world. This is similar to how Spike repeatedly tells Buffy that she's not like her friends and is instead a creature of darkness like him. Uh, Dracula also did that. Mm. Both Spike and Darla use this tactic of, you don't belong in their world. They'll never understand you. To make their respective victims more vulnerable and thus easier to control. This is unfortunately a very common strategy used by abusers. The relational behaviors of Spike, Darla, Drew, and Angelus answer the question of whether or not vampires can love, 
and and we've discussed this before um, quite a bit. And so Kat is coming down on the side of, yes, non-soul beings can love, uh, but they can't love in a healthy way because they lack a soul. And I, I again, I when it comes to souls, I feel like I'm a very hardliner on this one. And I'm like, no, you can't love without a soul. Uh, but I also appreciate people bringing in those other perspectives. So thank you for sharing, Kat. Yeah. And I like that comparison to season one. Bring us back to season one. I miss <laughs> it. Another hot stake about relationships comes from Marine, who wanted to write in and say, I find that we tend to romanticize passion in France. So obviously Marine is from France. She says, for instance, fans often question which relationship is right for Buffy, but we might think the right one is whatever she needs at the moment. It doesn't bother me if she has a complicated relationship. We tend to believe that we learn our limits through living and experiencing. From these experiences, we grow and evolve. How can one understand losing their head for someone if they've never been swept away? Or for all the fans uh, discussing Buffy's future with various vampires, the French reaction would be, well, who cares? They love each other. Another example, the chaste kiss of two 16-year-olds full of hormones, friends since kindergarten, discussing the nuances of relationships and different forms of love, such as friendship, crushes, soul love, or fleeting passion, thinking they're about to die. Well, here we would talk about a mistake or silliness, not betrayal, a fault with extenuating circumstances. It justifies a quarrel, a clarification, but a breakup. And that, of course, she's referencing to Willow and Xander. Sometimes, I feel like your analysis of the character's behavior is as if they're being judged through a 2023 filter. Maybe it's a tough judgment because we have so much more information today to understand others and relationships. Misogyny is often mentioned, but I believe these characters are gradually breaking away from it within the context of their time. Everybody in their own journeys learns, sometimes the hard way, to reconsider the world. Well said, Maureen. I agree with some. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with it all. I do... I do think that a lot of your perspective, the, the French way, I suppose, is kind of how I reproach things in my real life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Emily in we, Paris is making so much more sense now that it's explained <laughs> this way to me. Well, like I have friends that are from Paris and stuff, and they've also had a, a much more laissez-faire, relaxed way of viewing relationships and sexual experiences and everything. And I've learned a lot from them. So I totally see where you're coming from, Maureen. And I would say that in, again, in life, I'm, I'm very much like you, like, well, who cares? Like, let them do whatever they got to do. Right. But you know, Kara and I are here to analyze this from a 2023 filter and we are here to be mean <laughs> when we want to be mean. And that's, that's just how it's no, going to be, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I agree. I agree with what you said, Steph. I love people who are from different cultures reaching out and showing us their perspective. Buffy is obviously a global phenomenon. It's been translated. We've have we've had fans write in talking about like differences in episode titles or even subtitles in the show and dubbing and stuff. It's really fascinating to me. So I love, you know, sharing that perspective of like here is my reading based on my cultural context. It's great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as far as like um you know, judging the characters a bit more harshly and, and how the characters are breaking away from misogyny within the context of the time. 2000 wasn't that long ago. It was within our lifetimes, right? Like it's 25, the show is 25 years old. The world hasn't changed that much. Um, I don't think we're being harsh when we judge the characters for how they act here. It's not like in the past 25 years, we've somehow as a society got a better handle on misogyny i think you could argue that in some ways things are even worse um you know 
things go in cycles, especially when it comes to progressivism. So like you said, Steph, you know, we are intentionally coming at the show from the lens of it's 2023. Here's where we're at, partly because I don't think there's anything we could do differently. I certainly can't remember how somebody my age right now would think back in 2000 because I was a kid. But also that's, you know, that's the purpose of this podcast is literally what we say at the start of every episode. We look at this show through that 21st century lens. And, and when we do this, and I'm not speaking just to you, Maureen, I'm speaking to our, all of our listeners here. When we do this and we make these critiques, I think at least from my perspective, and you can disagree with me, Steph, what I'm trying to point out, right, is that not only has not much changed in the past 25 years when it comes to things like misogyny, but like part of the the enduring value of Buffy, of watching it now, even if you're a new viewer, even if you're younger and you weren't alive, because there are people old enough to watch and appreciate Buffy who weren't alive when it was still airing, and that makes mm -hmm. me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's that's why Buffy is still so relevant here in 2023, is that we can look back on it and we can say, what are the lessons the show has to teach us? even now, even from our modern lens. And I think that is so fascinating. Yeah, it's well, it's interesting to see how far we come. I actually just got into an argument with a Xander fan <laughs> online today about growth. Really? That's so unlike you. Normally, you and Xander fans are like this. I'm doing the... <laughs> The, the fingers crossed motion. Yeah, we're usually besties and we're always getting along online, but particularly today where people are like, well, it's from back then. And I, I'm like, you know, this is, this is trendy to like Xander nowadays. It's like, well, no, it's it's called growth, right? Like when, again, I also can't judge the show from when it came out because I was also a child when it came out. I didn't know how I thought. I wouldn't have known how I thought as an adult in 2002 when this, when this season was happening. But coming at it from today... And rewatching the show and analyzing it as close as you and I do helps show me the growth that we have done so far that we still need to do, right? Not just personally between me and Kara, but, you know, as, as our society. And I think that one of the best things about doing this podcast with you, Kara, about doing a rewatch podcast from a 21st century lens specifically is because we can get deep into it. And we could actually yeah. sometimes harshly critique these characters for what they're saying and doing um, to themselves and to each other. And that's one of the joys <laughs> of it. It honestly is, is because we can see, right, from our perspective, how things have changed from how we would have seen that a couple years ago. That and the memes. <laughs> that, that and all the memes and all the jokes and just all our followers and listeners, right? They're so, everyone's yeah, so you're great. You're all so great, everybody. Thank you for listening. Before we wrap up, Steph, because we are in a spoiler-friendly episode of the podcast, you know, once we start season seven, we will once again have to pretend that we don't know what's coming. I want to take a moment and I just want to chat with you about, you know, what are our feelings going into season seven? What are our apprehensions? Is there anything you're looking forward to? Uh, this is our last season of Buffy, and we, we will announce what we're planning to do following that uh, in due time. So stay tuned, listeners. But this is the last season of Buffy. This is it. We're going into the final season. How do you feel? Bittersweet. Very bittersweet. I'm a big believer that when it's time, you know, to end something, do it with grace, right? Leave it when you're still going to miss it. And I think that's how we're going to enter the season seven. Because I was even telling you now, Carl, I'm like, oh, my God, 
season six was such a slog, like the last half of it, like I need a break. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting tired. And that's how I know that this last season is my time to give it all before we move on to another project, right? Like it's time to put Buffy to bed and I want to do it justice. So as much as I find it bittersweet that we're coming to an end of this show that I have this whole new appreciation for, it's time. You know, we got half a year left and I I really am anticipating giving it the last 22 episodes of the show our 110%, you know, our full love, that and more, because it's the last batch. <laughs> well, that's, wow. Well, I, I re- wish you hadn't said that, because I was just going to phone it in. I mean, maybe your 110% is going to make up for my 75%. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, only because I said I'm feeling, I was feeling tired at the end of season six. Mind you, it's also because we had some heavy episodes and a lot of social media stuff was happening. But... Going into season seven, I, I'm going to be energized and excited. I hate season seven. Hate yeah, it. you've told me that before. I don't remember it well enough to know whether right. I hate it or not. And I, I'm, yeah. will, I'm willing to reevaluate it. Let me say that. And, and mark my words, listeners, you can hold me to this. I am going to try to go into season seven with an open mind. And I am willing to reevaluate it. Last time I rewatched the show, because normally I skip season seven. Normally the show's over for me now. Um, and, and the last time I rewatched, which was years before we started this podcast, I watched season seven because I was watching the show with my friend Rebecca um, and she hadn't seen season seven. But I liked it better the last time I watched it. So maybe I'll, it's the opposite of season six for me. Maybe <laughs> I'll like it better this time. Um, we'll see. I know there are a few things I'm looking forward to. I'm really looking forward to Principal Woods' character. <gasps> yes. I have been waiting for Principal Wood <laughs> since season four when I lost my main man. Principal Wood is going to be a really big deal for me. <laughs> um, Obviously, you know, Faith coming back. Oh, my God. That's so great. There are good things about season seven. I will say that. I mean, and I'm going to try my best not to be a downer. But Buffy is one of those shows for me. It's not that the ending disappoints me, and we're so far away from that in my mind. I can't, I can't comment on the ending right now. But like, I, Buffy's always a show where, where once I reach season six and seven, I'm just like, uh, okay, like the fun's kind of over. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like how like you asked, like, what are you thinking of the next season? I was like, personally, like <laughs> about the podcast. But it's like, no, obviously, we got to talk about the show itself. Um, no, I hear you. I don't remember season seven very well. Um, I remember Principal Wood. <laughs> Adam excited to thirst again. But um, after watching season six and how down it left me feeling and how I told you, like, I lost the feminism in the show near the ah, end of there. Yeah, yeah. If season seven can get that back for me, <laughs> it'll be worth it. It will we'll, let us see. Let they us see. They beat up on Buffy so hard. <laughs> let, so uh, don't you know what? Let's wait and see because I don't okay. remember very well. All right. Sorry, no spoilers. No spoiler free. It's not. It's not that. I've obviously seen it. I just. I don't remember. I've never watched it as closely as we watched it now. So I'm excited to see if I can find it. Maybe I'll be like you, where I'll be like, Kara, I'm gonna make you like season seven, even if I don't know if I like it or not. Uh, but I'm gonna make it my mission to make season seven great because I want the last season of our podcast to be great. Make season seven great again. <laughs> you said it, not me, but that is the official hashtag of 
our last season. Um, one thing I am like nervous about is the reintroduction of Andrew because mm. you and I and hey, we we never talked Fucking about the trio. In, we never we never talked about the trio in this wrap up. We didn't want to. We're like Did whatever. We, <laughs> we didn't. Who cares? Um, but yeah, the when Andrew gets who? reintroduced. <laughs> historically i've always enjoyed andrew's character i thought he was really funny in season seven so i I, the the way that i saw him in season six i just don't think that's gonna happen this time around so i'm i'm very curious i'm very curious to rewatch and find out here we go everybody send in your hot stakes for the first episodes of season seven uh it's coming to you in january it's gonna be a good time wait let me read off my list of how I would fix season oh, six yes, real quick. <laughs> Don't let me forget. Um, some of it is just reiterating what we've talked about throughout the last season about what, how we would change it. Number one, if you recall, Kara, we said they should have had a Bachelor and a Bachelorette episode. They should have, if they wanted to put some joy in there somewhere, they should have included one of those. Um, that's number one. Same thing that we talked about earlier, right? I would have let them get married. And then have a whole marriage issue going through season seven. Something we talked about in Dead Things. I would have had Buffy break off things with Spike after she cried to Tara at the end of Dead Things. Not after Riley comes back and as you were. <laughs> so that's something else I would have changed. <laughs> oh, here's a joke one. Or maybe it's not. I would have had Buffy actually kill Xander in normal again. <laughs> Um, that, that was pro- very likely a joke. Um, I like how you can't tell if it's your own joke. Because because I've listed these like very factually. So like there was no lol like after it as I usually would if I was making a joke. It just played very straight. Um, uh, number five, Giles, I would have given him a much better reason for leaving so that we wouldn't have been so pissed off at him for leaving. Betsy wrote in that hot stake earlier about the first and foreshadowing that. Well, I think they could have foreshadowed the whole arc of season seven by having Giles journey off in the middle of the season because he was following some lead that the Watchers Councils had regarding the big bad for next season. And then that also um, invalidates the trio being the big bad of this season because it's like we're already thinking of the next big bad and we're not even thinking about you. Mm. Number six, uh, I we said this in Grave, I would have had Buffy and Dawn save the day, as in like they're the ones mm-hmm. that stop Willow, and then that would have made Buffy see Dawn as the woman that she's becoming, and that's why she wants to show her the world, because she can save it now, right? That would have been a lot better. And then my last point is just about magic overall, because we are going to talk about the addiction um, of Willow and her addiction to magic and all the parallels. We're going to talk about that in Willow on Trial. But magic being a central theme of season six, I would have played that up near the end a lot more or even not even near the end, just just throughout the season. Remember in Grave when Xander jumped in front of Willow's <laughs> suck job magic <laughs> when she was sucking all the energy out I of the world remember, yes. and then blow jobbing it into the <laughs> into the <laughs> satanic temple. Anyway, um, <laughs> Xander wanted to get a piece of that blow job. Is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, and Azure suggested that Xander got some sort of magic safety spell from Tara, like that that he should have had that from earlier in the season. And that's why it was not, you know, that's why he was saved from Willow's thing. Well, I'm adding on to that and just saying like, overall magic should have just been the force to be dealt with 
throughout the whole season. Um, and I'm talking specifically about Rack and Amy and all of these other magic users, including Jonathan, that I, I think Willow potentially could have joined some sort of coven, right? Like maybe that was like, you know, this coven that she joined and that's what drove Tara away because she didn't like the dark magics they were playing with. That's what isolated Willow from her friends and allowed her addiction to it to progress. Then from there, we would have had a more significant battle near the end. Maybe it was Willow versus the coven that she created because they killed or hurt Tara in some way, right? And then maybe, I don't know, maybe she had to sacrifice the entire coven to get Tara back. And that would have been a whole, you know, morality thing too. So I, I had a lot of ideas about how season six would have been more enjoyable for me overall. But I think in terms of magic being the ultimate power i think they could have played that up more also just amy like she threatened amy and then amy peaced out and that was the end of that and i'm like that kind of left that hanging i think it could have been that amy came back to cause more problems for willow and as well as rack or any of the other magic users that she was meeting throughout season six i love all those ideas I'm really glad that you told me beforehand that we were doing this so that I could come <laughs> up with my list of changes to season six stuff. Thank you. Do your own homework, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> you know what this was, though? I was keeping a list of all the things that we said while we recorded the last, you know, 22 weeks. And I was just keeping them in mind because I was, I was just, work out well, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a TikTok eventually. Right. So as I was making my notes for this wrap up episode, I just stuck them in there. <laughs> So just to screw you over, basically. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I've just started phoning it in a couple episodes early. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. We can't phone it in, Kara. We've got 22 episodes. We've got to come in. All the uh, energy, all the effort. We have to stop letting all of our listeners do our research for us. <laughs> we, we need to do it that's ourselves. That's not going to happen. Yeah, that'll never happen. Well... Thank you for talking about season six of Staff. We will be back. We have Willow on trial. We have the fandom on trial coming up during our break. And then we will be back in January with uh, some new season seven recaps. Don't forget, we have a merch store, prophecygirls.ca slash store to get your Xander Slander and Praise Moloch and Prophecy Girls merch. Um, and... You know, thank you to all of our Buy Me a Coffee supporters, especially our chosen ones. Lizzie, Holly, Kayla, Jordan, Julian, Nicola, Luis, Joshua, Reese, Susanna, Jasmine, Christy. Emma, Kyle, Destiny, Erica, Allison, Jace, Haley, Tasha, Ricky, Amy, and Rochelle. Thank you so much. That is the wrap-up of Season 6, and we will see you guys in Season 7. Bye! Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook prophecy underscore girls on twitter also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca where you can find the link to our discord can't wait to hear from you praise malik see you next week